0: unwrap your gift now but pay later right now at Pella windows and doors of wisconsin put no money down no payment and no interest for up to 18 months our elves work year-round installing in as little as a day offer ends december 31st visit pellawi.com
1: jeff wagner's 25-year career at wtmj comes to an end for the rest of the year dive back in the archives with us as we bring you the best of jeff wagner throughout his career You're listening to the best of Jeff Wagner on WTMJ.
2: There was a story in the wall street journal over the weekend that caught my attention because I admit it is something that we do in the Wagner household. And it never occurred to me that it may be controversial. What am I talking about? Well, I I just, matter of fact, it was something I did during the break just to tell the story to lead into this. Now, I lead, let me just confess this, I, I lead a very, very boring life. I mean, I lead a fun life, it is an active life, but it, it's essentially, my my life consists of, okay, going from my house to work, and then going home, and then maybe going to the golf course, or going out to visit friends and things like that. My life is pretty much an open book. I mean, there's, there's not... There's not secretive trysts or meetings or things like that. It's it's just it it kind of is what it is. And as part of it being an open book, I, I I have no secrets, particularly no secrets from my spouse. I, and I, I think that the same is true of of her. One of the things that we do is we have this app on our phones. You know of uh, the the loc- the locator that's there. And my my information is put in my, my information is put into my phone, and hers is put into my phone, and mine is put into her phone. So what you can do, um, the app is you know find you know find my iPhone. So I can, for example, I can track my wife, and if I I want to find out where she is, I can just open up this app and I can push the button. And it will locate her iPhone or her iWatch. And as long as she has it with her, which she almost always does, I know where she is. For example, during the break, I mean, I, I knew what she was doing today. She was going out to lunch with friends and stuff. And so during the break, just to tell the story, I just launched in. And, and yes, she's she is where she is supposed to be, where she told me she was going to be. You know, she's um, out, out in West Bend having, I presume, a presumably, lunch with friends or whatever. Um, she will track me from time to time and and she does it. It's like okay, Jeff's at the ball game with his buddy. Um, I I just I, I don't know if he's left the ball game. Don't know what the status of that is. Here, you know, she'll you do the find my iPhone, and she'll see that I'm I'm still at the ball game. And you know, we we use this because it's kind of like okay, well, um, where where is Jeff? You know, I'm planning to start dinner at. or whatever, want to find out, you know, where where he is. And I could call him, but Jeff hates to be interrupted by, you know, me calling him. So it's just as easy, you know, to use this, like, find my iPhone, and they tell where they are. And do I do it obsessively? No, but there will be times, for example, where um, I, I know my wife is out running a whole bunch of errands, and we're supposed to be somewhere at a particular time. And I'm kind of curious as to, okay, where in the process of these errands, where, where is she? So I, yeah, you could call, you could text, but you hate to bother people. You just use this stuff, this locator, find my iPhone. And again, it's something that we both agree to. I, I, I think it is an incredibly handy thing. And again, I'm not somebody who obsessively is hitting like trying to track where my wife is, you know, every five minutes or something, but I do find that it comes in handy. Story in the Wall Street Journal. Is it okay to track your spouse's location? Partners who share their whereabouts can find themselves having to explain, what was he doing at a hotel in the middle of the day? Well, if I'm at a hotel in the middle of the day, there's going to be a really good explanation for it, I guarantee you. Many couples use their phones to track each other. They share locations automatically, giving partners a window into their travels, including every trip to Target or Starbucks. Married and unmarried couples say they do it mostly for safety. Some do it so they can have dinner ready when their partner gets home from work. Others just find it easier than texting or calling, which I would say yes to all about that. However, other couples think anyone who tracks his or her spouse is crazy. They say that tracking itself can be a safety concern. Not to mention that some marriage counselors say this location dependency is unhealthy. Shouldn't marriage have a little mystery? When it comes to your tracking, to tracking your partner, nearly everyone has an opinion, and many don't want to budge. All right. I'm pretty sure that there are many things I do which annoy my spouse. I I don't think checking in occasionally to see where she is on her errands or whatever, or sometimes just to make sure she's okay, I don't think it bothers her, and it certainly doesn't bother me if she wants to you know, track it. I mean, sometimes I think what will happen is, like I say, we have dinner typically at a, at a particular time. And you know, I'd normally get home from work at a particular time. So let's say I'm 45 minutes late or whatever, because I stopped off to do something rather than just call me. She'll track me to see where I am. It's not because she's worried that I'm in a hotel room with somebody else. It's just, okay, where is he? So I can start dinner or whatever. And again, this is, and I am assuming for the sake of this conversation that, You know, both parties have have agreed to this. Now it is kind of creepy if somebody would have gone in and and put that app on your spouse's phone without them knowing it and done all that. But assuming, you know, we're we're all cool with it, I just it's never occurred to me that this might be controversial. John on the North Side. John, you're on WTMJ.
3: Hey, Jeff man, I'm married fifty-five years. I'm not gonna track my wife and I dare to track me. No way. Uh, a man's got to have some privacy. I mean, I I can see what you're saying. Yeah. I don't look at my wife's purse. She don't look at my wallet. I don't look at her phone. She don't look at mine. We got voicemail and and stuff for that. No, I I will just text her if I need her. She can text me. You know, I I ain't that, I, I don't think that's right.
2: Okay, so this, John. John John, John. 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 I got to ask you. What what are you what are you doing that you don't want your wife to know where you are? <laughs> Well, I'm not doing anything. Uh-huh. That, that, that I just figured I just figured that uh, people shouldn't be
3: tracking people. You know, I, I, that's, wherever I want to be, I'm grown, so I'm I'm where I want to be. Yeah. She's grown; she's where she want to be. You know, I I, I trust her at fifty five oh, years. Absolutely, we trust each
2: other. No, thanks. Well, I, I mean, I trust my wife too. No, it's it's not. I guess I'm not checking her to wonder, you know, where where she is. If I want to see the stuff she spent money on, all I have to do is look at our credit card statement, and I can kind of, you know, it's like the bird crumbs there and see stuff like that. No, I mean, and it's not it's not the suspicious thing. I I just. I think it can be a useful thing. Now, you're right. If, you know, you were, if somebody was supposed to be home at 345 and it's now 445 and you're wondering, you know, where they are. Yes, you can pick up the phone and call and say, where are you? At the same time, this is just an app that say, oh, he's, you know, he's he's at Bayshore or, or whatever. You know, he stopped off to get something taken care of. It's just never been an issue for me. 855-616-1620. Let's talk to Chris in Cedarburg. Chris, you're on WTMJ.
4: Jeff, Jeff, Jeff. You and I agree on ninety nine point nine percent of
2: But this day. is it. This oh, is it. You don't. You don't want your husband tracking you, huh?
4: I know he can't. But but you know what we do before we go to bed? I say, wh- what time you want dinner? Where are you going? What you doing? Oh, okay. All right, I'll feed the horses. I'll do this. I'll take care of my mom. Uh, do the dog. You know, I'll pick up your laundry. You you fill up the cars. You know all this stuff, and that's it. I think it can. Um, a little bit of, I don't know, independence. I guess I don't need. To, I mean, that I am surprised at you. I mean, that
2: just. Well, I, blows I guess, my I guess mind. I, I'm kind of surprised at you, Chris, as to why you know why you would object to your husband <laughs> tracking you for goodness. If, if, if he
4: wanted to, yeah, he could, but but we just don't because we talk. I mean, oh, we well. just we talk or text, and. and you know, but not all day. I mean, yeah. just, he works in Chicago, and yeah. and I am a
2: farm in Hospice, so there. You know. Uh, okay, so let me uh, let, let me okay, could, okay. Let's work with that. Let this, this, yeah. let, let let's work with oh, that. Okay, okay, so your husband's working in Chicago. <laughs> it, it's it's snowing or something. It's you know, and and you know, he's supposed to be home by seven o'clock or whatever, and it's like seven forty-five or something, and you're kind of wondering how it's coming. <laughs> yes, I understand. You can call or text but is that really any different than just hitting the find my iPhone thing and you find that, you know, he's on I-43 in Glendale? I mean, it, I guess I I don't understand why it's any different than calling or texting.
4: Well, I guess it's just a little more personal. You know, when he says, oh, my God, someone's in the ditch. You know, I'm going to stop here or go there. I don't care where he is, yeah. necessarily. I mean, I care, but, yeah. I mean, it's yeah. like, you know, I mean, I, I just don't want to be, I don't want, to bother him as a is a male, or and him, you know, as a okay. as is a female that you know that that I you know. All
2: oh right, God. no, okay, good. Enough. Thank you. Look, it's I'm not saying you have to do it. I'm just intrigued by this conversation that there, because it's this is one honest to God that it's never occurred to me that that I it, it would it would kind of be an issue, and maybe maybe that's because you know. I I'm not worried that I'm going to get tracked at, you know, 2.30 in the afternoon. Everybody knows where I am at 2.30 in the afternoon, okay? I mean, it's – it's my, my life, like I say, is pretty much an open book. And, you know, I I guess if it's just one of those – I mean, I can understand it. You know, your spouse, they expect you home. I, I forgot – I forgot to tell, um, you know, my wife that there's a couple places that I'm planning on stopping after work today. So she's used to me being home at a certain point in time and I'm 45 minutes late and she's maybe a little bit worried. It's not that she thinks I'm doing something that I shouldn't be doing. It's just like, okay, I wonder where he is because, you know, we're going out or I want to put dinner on or whatever it is. Or in my case. I know she's like running errands and stuff and I'm just kind of curious, gee, I wonder what time she's going to be home um, I, so oh okay I can see that this is where she is in the errand type of thing Betty and Waukesha. Betty you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon
4: Hi Jeff Hi Betty I, I I'm, I'm sorry I'm sorry Jeff but but I have to agree with the last caller. <laughs> you are really cracking me up. The fact that you don't think that there's any iota that there's any ruffling of the feathers at all that there's this tracking going on, I'm with you. I understand. My answer is: look, look in my wallet, look in my purse. I've got nothing to hide. It, it's not quite that easy. Um, I, I, I'm glad it is for you and your wife. I,
2: I... <laughs> <laughs> but you don't. So you don't want anybody. You don't want anybody tracking where you are, huh? <laughs>
4: <laughs> well, okay. Uh, uh, well,
0: no. I mean, no, <laughs> okay. no, I, no. I
2: don't. <laughs> uh, you, you, and you, you, ob- you guys anything. obviously lead a much more interesting life than I do. You know, <laughs> it's okay.
4: <laughs> <laughs> Have a great
2: day. Take care. I, I, I guess I, I am surprised. I'm surprised by, uh, by, by the reaction that, that so many people would think. Well, this is weird. I guess it, it was just, you know, it's and and I. Yeah, I'm, I'm probably not explain this very well, but it's just I, I view this as as a convenience, and and yeah, you you can call, but I I I just you, you hate to call and interrupt, or you can send text, but you're not supposed to look at that while people are driving and stuff. But it's just kind of like. Okay. Um And I mean, I do think there is there is kind of a safety factor. If you if if I'm if I'm driving home and it's late at night and she's wondering, you know, where I am. I don't think there's I don't mind her. Yes, you could call, but I don't mind her, you know, saying, okay, well, I, I see where he is. He's on the freeway or whatever. I guess it's just. Maybe it's, again, because I lead such a such a boring life and I'm never going to have to. <laughs> I'm not worried about having to explain where I am in <laughs> these sort of given time. Alan in Milwaukee. Alan, bail me out on this one. I've got a couple female listeners who are disagreeing with me.
3: Yeah, I don't know. You know, my wife and I, we do it all the time. It's more for safety reason. I'm an over-the-road truck driver, working long hours. She want to know how far away I am from home. Uh, she works in retail, and I make sure that she's, oh, you know, getting home and walking okay if she stops somewhere something happens. I mean, uh, I just do it for safety reasons, and you're right. Um, sometimes I want to know where my wife is at without calling her, and, you know, it, to see, get, like if I need something, I say, well, let me see where she's at, because I didn't want to disturb her if she's doing something, she's taking yeah. care of something, you know? Yeah. So that's what I do. I wanted to make one last point. As far as that app, cause I don't know if you remember this a while back. It was a woman who was found murdered uh, by Uber driver, and they was able to locate her by using her uh, app on her phone. The boyfriend was like, why is this car stopping here? Right. That car's not supposed to be stopping there. And then the police found her, unfortunately, deceased. Yeah. But yeah. It's, it's
2: for safety reasons, you know. Um, I I think there's I mean, thanks for, I, I think there's all sorts of things. And, and again, it's. I, I want to differentiate this here. If if one spouse or partner or whatever, if you're doing it and you're, the other spouse doesn't know you're doing it, that's a whole different story. I mean, but, but if it's one of these hey, you know, let's put it on each other's phones so, you know, you don't have to worry if I'm if I'm coming home late or I can get an idea of where you are on the different types of variants. I guess I don't, I, I think there is that safety factor. Jeff, I track my wife all the time. She's aware of it, not because I don't trust her, but because if she's not home, and I am, I will often want to know when she's coming back and how much time I have to do tasks like cooking dinner or cleaning the garage. Um, that's it. Jeff, there are people who literally track their adult children with the find my iphone app well okay you you can carry it i mean i acknowledge you you can carry it too far um jeff you had to know somebody's going to bring this up sometime, so it might as well be me big brother has always found a way to keep track of us whether it's through facebook or gaming or any social media tracking credit cards etc so why make, not make a fun little application for spouses to keep track of each other um so now the government can big brother can zoom in on more people well, I don't know that that's, um, I don't know that that's the case. And, and one of our texters is saying, well, um, you know, my wife, my spouse was absolutely adamant that um, we, we not use tracking devices, and the, the texter is saying, and there was a reason for that, because she was doing something that, um, you know, she didn't want me to find out about. Andrew in Wapaka. Andrew, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon.
4: Good afternoon. Yeah, my wife and I,
5: we use an app called Life 360. We started with uh, putting it on our daughter's phone so we knew when she would be leaving school, what time she would be getting home. Mm -hmm. But then we have both my wife and I on it. So it notifies us when I leave the house or if she leaves the house and things like that. It has crash detection on it. Um, My daughter isn't of driving age, but my nieces are, and they use it. And their mom is able to track them and see how fast they're traveling, where they're traveling, when they're traveling and things like that. And so it's actually become very useful for us. Like Several times I'll see you during the day when I'm at work. Oh, my wife's leaving the house. Oh, well, that's not normal. She normally doesn't. Well, maybe she's running errands. I can give her a quick call and be like, "Hey, pick this up for me you while you're out,"
4: and things like that.
2: So. Yeah, I, thanks, Andrew. I appreciate it. that. That's now. I got to be honest. That's going a little bit too far for me. I, I don't. I don't care to know. You know, if every time my wife leaves the house or anything like that, that would be what I would call that TMI—that too much information. But. Um, and, and again, this isn't something that I use on a daily basis or that you uses on a daily basis. But on occasion, I, I guess I, I find it to be a convenience. You don't have to use it. And I guess if you're uncomfortable using it or whatever, that, that that's all well and good. I just I never realized that this was as controversial as it is. But apparently this is like this is like it's a 50 50 sort of thing. Some people love it. Some people hate it. Go figure. Daryl Brooks giving an interview saying he's, he's just he feels like he's being demonized. He's treated like a monster after mowing down 60 people, killing six at the Waukesha Christmas Parade massacre. My response to Mr. Brooks is, if you feel like you're being treated like a demon, if you feel like you're being considered a monster, get used to it. Those are my four words. And by the way, you're lucky that Wisconsin does not have a death penalty because, at least in my opinion... In my opinion, if there was ever a case that cried out for the death penalty, this would be that case. Let's start with Matt. Matt, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Good afternoon. How are you doing? Real well, thanks. What do you think?
3: Well,
6: I just don't understand why Fox News would even give this guy the satisfaction of being granted an interview while this is still fresh, especially in the victim's minds. And the trauma that they experience why would they even give this guy the airtime to talk? I mean, I think that that's an issue in and of itself right there, because the way our society is, there's going to be people, unfortunately, that are going to go out and sympathize with this guy. And who knows what kind of ideas this guy might even yeah. give somebody else in the future. That's, that's yeah. my
2: question with that. Well, no, I, and, and, and Matt, I think that's a very good question, because that's one of the things that popped into my mind as well. It's the, the fact that this sociopathic, demonic monster... It is is looking for some sort of, of sympathy and decides that he he wants to talk not to explain his actions but just to complain about the way he's treated i I agree with you but one of my questions was why would anybody give this guy that forum to do that
6: I agree and I don't know what their agenda is to it almost seems like they're
2: well I don't think it's I mean you know, thank, I, you, well, I don't why well, don't think so. I mean, I don't think it's an agenda. It's we, we've got the scoop. See that this is this is what happens in the media nowadays. It's it's we've we've got the scoop. You know we're going to be able to say we've got the exclusive or we've got the first interview with with Daryl Brooks Jr. You know the the guy who's responsible for the Waukesha Christmas Parade massacre. And so the the idea is you're going to try to get eyeballs to tune in to things like that. And and I mean I don't I don't know that the intention is to portray him in a sympathetic light, but clearly the way the guy he's sobbing and he's all unhappy and you know he's just talking about I'm I'm being treated as a monster. I can't believe this. Well yeah I, I and and you are correct that. Maybe there's going to be somebody out there somewhere who looks at this and says, oh, the, this this poor guy. I mean, life life just didn't treat him appropriately. And it's just he didn't get all the help he needed. And, you know, despite the fact that John Chisholm's office kept putting him back out on the street and giving him chance after chance after chance, you know, he he never really did have a, a chance. No, I, I think there's an element of that. And I do think you, you have to kind of wonder about the news judgment that goes into this. The larger question, though, is the guy is whining that, you know, I'm being treated as a monster. Well, like I say, get used to it. Uh, Let's see, Jeff, Mr. Brooks? (laughs) How dare you call him Mr. Brooks? Well, okay, Um, you know, what would I say? Jeff, I would say, as you frequently do, life is tough. Get a helmet for him. Um, Yeah, I think that that's it. Jeff, my thoughts are, if the shoe fits, wear it. Monster indeed. Yeah, I mean, I think that that's... I think that you know using the phrase I am being treated as a demon I am being treated as a monster yes anybody that drives their car through a parade picking off as many people as they can and results in this type of carnage and then tries to flee responsibility. You know, it's it's not like, oh, gee, the brakes went out of my car. No, he intentionally did what he did. Then he tried to flee. You know, he tried to scam somebody into letting him call an Uber or things like that. No, this there is evil in this world. See, that's what some people do not want to confront. That's the problem that exists with people like John Chisholm, the district attorney, who's supposed to be out there protecting people. What he doesn't realize is that, or what he refuses to accept is there are, in fact, sociopaths in the world. There are people who are the faces of evil. And for those people, the community needs to be Protected. And I understand it may be politically incorrect. And I understand that, you know, if you go after the people who are truly evil and you do everything you can to keep them in prison for lengthy periods of time, well, maybe you won't get some of the awards from the social justice people on the East and West Coast. But you know what? You will be doing your job to try to keep people safe. Daryl Brooks, complaining now that he is looking at life in prison without the possibility of parole, now complaining that, oh, they're just not treating me very well. Well, okay, if he was worried about that, maybe he should have thought of it, not before he decided to drive that SUV through the Christmas parade crowd. Maybe he should have thought of it, I don't know, years ago, when he embarked on this psychopathic life of cr- a crime creating the fact that he was a career criminal, maybe he should have been concerned then that maybe people would be treating him as a monster. But as far as I'm concerned, if you behave in a monstrous fashion, well, you deserve to be treated like a monster. And it is more, I cannot imagine, a a bigger poster child for the definition of monster than Daryl Brooks Jr. And if he feels unhappy with that, my response is, too bad. Get used to it. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome to the show. Lots of ground to cover on today's program. This is another one of those stories where everybody's wrong. Just everybody in this initial story is absolutely wrong. You have a couple Republican state legislators who have decided that they want to put a Christmas tree up in the Capitol Rotunda. This is in Madison. Typically, and they by the way, they are Christmas trees. Tony Evers, being Tony Evers, refuses to acknowledge that it is a Christmas tree. He insists on calling them a holiday tree because he doesn't want to offend anybody. Okay, fine. So this year, they the capital because the capital is closed to the public and because evers is a bit of a grinch the capital has decided that they are not going to erect that giant Christmas tree that they typically put up in the Capitol rotunda. All right. So that's, that's the rule they've decided we're not going to do this. And it's typically decorated by kids from around the state and things like that. So they've decided we're not going to do that this year. And in order to put stuff in the Capitol rotunda, you need to get a permit and the Evers administration really kind of controls th- those permits. So they made a the decision. We're not going to put anything up there. All right. Without a permit, Two state representatives then decided, you know what, we're, we're gonna reach into our own pockets and we're gonna put a Christmas tree, a smaller Christmas tree, but we're gonna put a Christmas tree up in the rotunda because we think there should be a Christmas tree there. Now they didn't have a permit to do it, so they're, they're in the wrong, because they didn't have a permit to do it. But at the same time, All right, when you look at all the stuff that's going on in this world, eh, okay, is this the biggest deal? Well, anyhow, Tony the Grinch Evers and his administration decide, no, we can't have the Christmas tree there, so they have it taken down because they didn't have a permit. And by the way, the Republican legislators, they're wrong to put it up because they didn't have the permit. But this is something that, given that there's not enough other stuff, I guess, going on, in the state of Wisconsin to worry about. The Evers administration swoops in and they have the tree taken out. Okay, at that point in time, the Republican legislators decide, well, we're going to put another tree up. How dare they put that tree? They take our tree down. So yesterday, they put another tree up, and they decorate it with ornaments that they've now received from all over the, the state, and I think maybe even all over the country. They put it up, and within about six hours, my understanding is, you know, last night, Governor Evers has it taken down again. So we have this this ongoing battle between I mean, it's really like who can be more childish right now? The Republican legislators, and I said this when we discussed it last week, they're wrong to put up the tree and in, in, they don't have the permit to do it. Now, I understand the frustration because for the, the last eight years, we've allowed the Capitol rotunda to be occupied by the solidarity singers and we've allowed all this stuff to go on. Um, So it is, I'm sure, frustrating to a lot of people that after allowing the Capitol to be taken over for, you know, day after day, year after year, by people trying to push a particular agenda, that now we, we, we can't have a Christmas tree that the public isn't paying for. So I understand the frustration, but there are rules and the rules are you're not supposed to have it there. So uh, the the Republican legislators, in my opinion, are wrong to keep putting up the tree. If you want to have the trees up, put the trees in your offices that you're entitled to do that. Now, Evers, for his part could look the other way, because Lord knows they look the other way on all sorts of things. And I do think it is interesting that under the Evers administration, we have thousands, we have tens of thousands of Wisconsin residents who have been, in some cases, waiting months and months and months to get unemployment compensation that they are otherwise entitled to. They're waiting months and months and months to do that and Evers can't figure out how to get people money that they are entitled to, but but within six hours, we take down the Christmas tree. Now there is a little bit of irony to that. Maybe the Christmas tree is the low hanging fruit. Gee, I can't figure out how to get Wisconsin residents money that they are otherwise entitled to. So we'll, we'll forget about them, but we're going to take down the Christmas tree. The, the whole thing, to me, it is a classic example on all levels of the dysfunction that permeates the state of Wisconsin now and the legislature and the executive branch these two Republican legislators put the Christmas trees up in your offices alright you don't have the permit to do it you should follow the rules governor Evers Don't you have more important things to worry about, given all the stuff that's going on, than obsessing about having these Christmas trees taken down? And yes, Governor, they are not holiday bushes. They are not holiday whatevers. They are, in fact, Christmas trees. But again, this is where we're at. Nobody's right, in my opinion, in this particular situation. And and, and again, to me, it's just an example of... Again, the dysfunction that is permeating Madison on the, these whole levels. The governor, Lord knows, he looks the way, looks the other way on all sorts of other problems, whether it's rioting in Kenosha. Oh, you, you just name it. Whether it's the unemployment thing, he looks the other way on that. But here, we're pulling those Christmas trees out. How dare they put them up? The Republican legislators, Lord knows there's a lot of stuff that needs to be done, like helping people get through COVID and all that type of stuff. And maybe you'd be better off spending your time trying to address that than insisting on putting these trees up. It's just, it's almost like, and I say this collectively, it's almost like you've got a bunch of Six-year-olds, four-year-olds, three-year-olds who are sitting in a sandbox just throwing stuff at each other. And the only thing you want to do is say, everybody, to your rooms, none of you, none of you should be in this case playing in the sandbox or none of you should be, you know, making policy decisions for the state of Wisconsin. Having said that, Merry Christmas to all. Twelve nineteen, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. I, 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 don't, I don't make this up. School district in California, right outside of San Francisco, Marin County. It's called the Dixie School District. Now, <clears throat> it goes back to eighteen sixty four. If you're just tuning in, there's a little bit of question where the name come, came came from. It's 1864, so nobody knows for sure. The conventional wisdom is that it's named after an American Indian woman named Marie Dixie, who was a close friend of the guy who founded the first school that's out there. Some people say, well, no, it really wasn't that. It was a kind of a wink, wink, nod, nod, tribute to the Confederacy. All right. Nobody knows for sure, but it's been the Dixie School District, since 1864. Now you have some agitators, some people in the district, but a lot of people outside it who are saying, this is incredible, this is appalling, this is an insult to students of color. How dare we make them go to the Dixie School District? Carol on the west side. Carol, you're first. Good afternoon.
4: Hi there. I said, I feel like Alice going down the rabbit hole. I'm ready for the Hatter to serve tea. <laughs> but the uh, next thing... I don't remember the name of the cartoon, but there were two mice that were Pixie and Dixie. I guess we're going to have to change them. Oh, well,
2: well, I mean, right, where do we start the line? How about, like, the, those little paper cups that you drink, you know, the Dixie cups? Oh, yep. You know, can, can we never, can we never have that? Right. I mean, it's, where, where do you end up drawing the line? And I guess my problem, Carol, is at some point in time, when you have these people who get worked up about this stuff, why don't, why can't we just say, you know, you desperately need to get a life? You know, concentrate on something that is of importance here, not some weird interpretation you have of a benign name. So true. Um, thanks to call. Where do we end up drawing the line? For example, If you travel in the southeast and it's one of those deals where you're staying overnight in, I don't know, Jacksonville, Florida or something like that, and you decide, hey, I want to run out to a grocery store and I want to get a six-pack of beer that I'm going to throw in the hotel refrigerator or something like that, you know, there is a very good chance that you might go to a grocery store chain that has been around – Oh, for around a hundred years, it's called the Win Dixie. Matter of fact, I think there might be plays about that as well. But it's Win Dixie, which is a, a big grocery store chain. Um, it, it's the combination of the Win grocery stores and the Dixie home chain, and they put them together, and now it's a big chain. But it's Win Dixie. In that particular case, I don't think there's even any argument that the Dixie in that case refers to the South. It's, you know, it's located in the South. This is the Dixie home improvement chain. But yet nobody is offended by that because it's not like, it's not like a statement of racism. It is a statement of, of the area. Now again, here it's, it's a much more problematic thing. Nobody knows where the name exactly came from. But from a practical perspective, that is, are, should people be legitimately offended? My response would be if you've got the time to get worked up over this particular name, that tells me you've got nothing other significant that's going on in your life. Uh, a couple of texts, Mike's texts. Jeff, I think it's ridiculous and a waste of time to consider changing the name of an institution that's been around for. Um, more than 200 years, Well, actually 1864, so 150 or so. There's a gro- to your point. There's a grocery chain called Winn-Dixie. Do they need to change their name? People who have these objections have too much time on their hands. All right, another text, Jeff. I don't understand how these people get all this power. Enough already. Well, see, that's the that's part of the larger problem as well. I, you know, talking about something similar to this the other day, and somebody texted and said, "Well, you you just don't understand. If anybody's offended by whatever it was that we were talking about, they need to change it." To which my response is, "Why? I mean, at, at some point in time, look, there there is somebody that is going to be offended about everything. Maybe it was the story." I was talking about the Katy Perry shoes. If, if you weren't listening during that segment of the program, Katy Perry, who is the, the, the singer, for the last couple of years, she's had a line of shoes that, that are, are out, and they're, they're supposed to be clever, and, and what they are is the shoes are made to look like faces, and um, they've got what appears to be like a little nose on them, and they've got two buttons that appear to be eyes, and then uh, at the toe of every shoe, they've got red lips. And so they come in all sorts of different colors. But, you know, somebody says, well, the black shoes. Well, these are black shoes. And they've got these red lips. Oh, my goodness. This means that, oh, my goodness, this means that this is blackface. And we're going to be offended by it. Well, I mean, I understand Again, that you've got these social justice warriors who are looking at this, and they're trying to find something that's offensive. And now we're we're scouring American life, trying to find examples of blackface so we can get ourselves all worked up about it. But what it really is, is it's it's a pair of shoes that, again, have a face on them. There's no blackface. It's kind of like saying, well, we need to ban Mr. Potato Head because, again, you've got the bright red lips that you could put on Mrs. Potato Head. Adam in Milwaukee. Adam, you're on WTMJ hi, hi Adam. Uh, i'm
3: on your screener that uh, if i was king uh, i would give these agitators what it is that they ask for you want your stupid name change you can have it but not what it is that they truly want and that is virtue points yeah it really is about them more than anything else you know right. rather than accomplishing some good it's me wanting to be able to pat myself on the back and say look how virtuous i am i'm helping the."
2: well, well, well right you know, i mean think of all i mean if you want to do something that would be constructive Instead of spending hours and hours and hours trying to get petitions and showing up at at the school board meetings and agitating on this, go work in a food bank. I mean, go do something, go do something that is really going to help improve the quality of life of people in the community. But that's not what it's all about, Adam. You're right. It's the virtue points.
3: If I could find a way to, you know, say, here, you want it, but. Um, make sure that no applause is given, no recognition is given. That would just bring me delight. <laughs>
2: <laughs> right. That, that, thanks for calling. Okay, here it's the text. I'm just, Jeff, I'm disgusted by this conversation. I have to sip some water from my Dixie cup. Well, be careful. Tom and Mequan asks the point. Alright, do the Dixie Chicks have to change their name? Very, very good. I mean, what, I mean, think about how, how should we be offended by the, the Dixie Chicks? Of course, you know, very, very left leaning themselves, but how could they have a name that is so incredibly and totally unwoke, uh, by, by having this? Bottom line is, and I, and I sent a tweet on this, if you, the, the tweet I have, I sent out has a link to, A story that CNN did on this. There's a a bunch of other stories, but if you watch the the story that's contained in the link, there's people screaming, and there there's folks that are going down, and they're just they are calling the school board members every name but a child of God because they want this name receded because they think it is just absolutely and totally offended. At what point in time do we say just? For the love of God, get a life. Concentrate on stuff that is important as opposed to trying to, uh, again, take your peculiar view, worldview of life and things that are offensive and try to inflict it on mainstream America. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Jeff Wagner's 25-year career at WTMJ comes to an end.
1: For the rest of the year, dive back in the archives with us as we bring you the best of Jeff Wagner throughout his career. You're listening to the best of Jeff Wagner on WTMJ.
2: At a campaign event last week in Grimes, Iowa, a guy came up to Elizabeth Warren and asked her the question that I think are one of the many questions that a lot of us would like to ask. And unlike some of those moderators of the debate, the, the guy offered his own thoughts on it. And you know what? It's a question that I don't think Elizabeth Warren has a very good answer for. Now, right now, let me just back into this topic. Students for years and years have been borrowing money to go to college. And there's all sorts of valid issues with the program. Because the federal government has agreed to pretty much loan people whatever they want, colleges – Universities to, throughout the country, they've been able to just jack up their tuition and jack up their tuition and charge more, knowing that the kids are going to be able to get loans to cover it. And in some cases, you get these loans that are just un- unworkable. But but here's the, the real deal, and this is what people to know, need to know. Out of all that money that's out there, that $1.6 trillion in student debts, only about 10% of borrowers actually default on their student loans. So 90% of people with student loans make the payments and, and pay off the loans, ultimately. And, and here's the deal. In the cases of the defaults, oftentimes, there's small amounts of debt. Oftentimes, the defaults involve people who make less than 10 grand. I mean, that that's all, who have less than 10 grand in debt. And a lot of times, if you look at why the people defaulted, what you find is it's because they have behaved irresponsibly, and they've gotten all sorts of other kinds of debt, like like credit card debt. You know, you've got the student loans, and all of a sudden you run your credit cards up. Well, well, yeah, you you don't have enough money to pay the student loans, but maybe you should have behaved a little bit more responsibly. So that's the number, $1.6 trillion in debt, but only about 10% default. So into this walks Elizabeth Warren, and I think you probably know her plans. Her idea is the minute I am elected president, the day I am sworn in, I am going to cancel $640 billion in student loans, up to $50,000 a person for people making less than $100,000. She says, this is going to help 42 million Americans. I'm just going to wipe out your student debt and we'll figure out some way for somebody else to pay for that. So, okay, here's the deal. She's at this event in Grimes, Iowa. Guy comes up to her and he says, Senator, I just want to ask you one question. My daughter is just getting out of school. I saved all my money to put her through school. She is graduating without any student loans. Ms. Warren nods and says, God bless you. And then he says, here's my question. Am I going to get my money back? Am I going to get my money back? And she says, of course not. Of course you're not going to get your money back. At which point he says, so you're going to pay for people who didn't save any money. And those of us who did the right thing get screwed. He says, look, I have a friend, my buddy. He had fun. He bought a car. He went on vacations. I saved my money. I made sacrifices to send my kid through school. He made more money than I did, but I worked a double shift. I worked extra. My daughter has worked since she was 10 years old. She worked jobs to put herself through college. And you're telling me that we're out of luck and that he and his kid who didn't work and he who made more money but spent it all and took it all at loans, you're going to bail him out? And she says, yeah, that's kind of how this is going to work. We build a future going forward by making it better. This is at the heart uh, of this idea. Okay, we have kids that have student loan debt. Unquestionably, paying back paying back loans is a pain, whether it's a student loan debt or whether it's a car payment or whether it's a mortgage, you know, paying or interest on a credit card. Paying back debt is, is always a pain. And it limits your ability to do other things. But at the same time, the idea that we are just going to wipe out 640 billion dollars in student loan debt expecting somebody else to pay for it and for those of you who either put yourself through college or put your kids through college and did not go into debt, you're out of luck. Is this fair? And my answer is of course it's not fair. I mean if you moving forward, you know, if you want to figure out ways to make I don't know, college, more affordable. If you want to rein in out-of-control tuition costs at universities and the like, absolutely. But this idea that we're just going to have the President of the United States wave this magic wand and cancel Hundreds of millions of dollars in legitimately obtained debt. I mean, things that people borrowed. Well, why why don't we wipe out all mortgage debt in this country? I mean, you know, what what about people, you know, who financed their homes at larger or higher rates a number of years ago? Should, should we bail that out? And what about this guy who says, hey, what about me? You know, I, I did the right thing. I worked hard. My kid worked. And now you're telling me that I'm out of luck? Because, you know, you want to benefit, you know, my buddy who, uh, again, spent money like a drunken sailor and and took took all the good things in life and took out loans. And you're going to bail him out and you're going to punish me. Is that a valid question? Is it a valid point? My answer is you bet. Sandy and Franklin. Sandy, you're on WTMJ.
4: Hi, Jeff.
0: I guess I I really agree with I'm in the position of that man that she met Um, my kids. So my my son graduated from UWM last May, and my daughter is graduating this May. And they made the decision. You know, they've they've had jobs since they were 16 years old. They never got new clothes, never shopped. They knew they had college to pay for. And when all their kids, all their friends were going off to college, you know, it was hard for them to say, well, we're just going to live at home and commute so that we can do it as affordably as possible. And they completely sacrificed. Just like this guy did, and um, there is no magic wand. Um, yep. In the end, this this response gives nothing back to us who sacrificed, and, and in this case, our kids who worked their butts off to make the right decision in life. And I think, in in the end, there is no magic wand, and it's 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 not an answer. It's a it's a ploy for votes, and. Yep. It's, it, it's hurting
2: the people that are doing the right thing. Well, right, it, it's right. It, it gives you no incentive to want to, to use your phrase, do the the right thing. Why? Why would you buy? You know, why? Why bother doing the right thing? These people that that saved and scrimped and made sacrifices and worked—they're Elizabeth Warren is treating them all as chumps. You know, yeah, you you, you guys were chumps in, in all this. I mean, how, how can you? How mm-hmm. can you not? Again, if you want to be—if you want to move forward, and you say, okay, we need to figure out ways to make this more affordable, et cetera. But how can you just? Keep cancel legitimately incurred debt you know agreements that people had it just seems to me to be fundamentally wrong right yeah. and
0: i can see where people would want to oh. you know just have their debt wiped out i don't blame them for, for oh, yeah. trying to go for it oh, <laughs> no. i don't blame them at all but in the end it's, it's
2: yeah. It just doesn't make sense. No, I think that. Well, no, I mean, I no, I don't, I don't fault that. Okay, can I see a show of hands? Everybody that has mortgages. If if suddenly you had, you know, Elizabeth Warren or Bernie Sanders who came in and said, "All right, we're going to wipe off all your mortgage debt. You know, that money you owe on your house, forget it. You know, we're going to have somebody else pay for it. You know, we're going to have somebody else pay for it." Well, of course you'd like that. I understand that. Everybody wants something for nothing. You're listening to the best of Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Time Magazine, every year, comes out with a person of the year. This used to be a big deal. Nowadays, I think people kind of say, okay, well, who really cares about the person of the year? Who cares about Time Magazine? Which, I don't even know if they print Time Magazine anymore. I don't know. If it, it, it might just be an Internet thing. But in any event, they are going to announce Time Magazine's person of the year on Wednesday on the Today Show. Now, we always say this. The, the person of the year is... It's not necessarily the person who did the most good things. It's the, the person who was, you know, um, had, had the greatest impact on, on world events. So it's not necessarily good or, or bad. It's just the person who had the impact. So what I want to do in advance of what's going to happen on Wednesday is I want to give you a chance to weigh in on who you think the person of the year should be. Now, I'm going to give you the finalists, but when we have this discussion, as far as I'm concerned, you don't have to be limited to the finalists that Time Magazine is coming out with. This is like the WTMJ person of the year. You get to make your choice. Here are the candidates. Elon Musk, um, he won last year. He's been nominated once again. Last year, he won because of Tesla and SpaceX. Um, This year... He's up there because of the purchase of Twitter for $44 billion. Um, let's see. The other finalists, um, Xi Jinping, who is the Chinese president. I think you pronounce it uh, Xi this year. Um, he's in there because China once again clashed with the U.S. over Taiwan. Um, recent protests in China over their COVID theory. So he's one of the candidates. The U.S. Supreme Court is up there for person of the year, um, I think largely because of the decision in June to overrule Roe versus Wade. So Supreme Court collectively is there. Liz Cheney, outgoing Representative Liz Cheney, captured the attention of many Americans as she became the face of the House committee investigating the attack on the Capitol. Ukrainian President Vladimir Zelensky shoots to international fame while ferociously defending his country against a Russian invasion. Mackenzie Scott, um, who's giving away a large chunk of her fortune. She's the ex-wife of Jeff Bezos, the founder of Amazon. So you've got that there. Um, protesters in Iran. Protests have swept across Iran since mid-September. Um, so protesters. Ron DeSantis. Florida's governor has surged to the top of the Republican Party's star list and is involved into something of a foil for Trump. Of course, Ron DeSantis cruised to re-election in November, winning Florida by about 20 points. Janet Yellen, she became the first female secretary of the Treasury in 2020, and um, she's been at the height of, again, everything that's going on with the economy. And then gun safety advocates, um, people pushing for safer Firearms. Okay, those those are the nominees. Those are the potential nominees. But I don't want you to be limited by that. My question to you is and again, when we say person, we talk about they talk about things collectively as well. It's not necessarily any one individual gun safety advocates, for example. Um, You've got the, uh, the Supreme Court, which would be, you know, nine people. So. Let's get ahead of Time Magazine, and a couple of our listeners say that they have—they do still publish Time Magazine. Shows how long it's been since I've bought a magazine on the uh, newsstand. I actually think that this one's pretty easy. Hey, Jeff, this is Charlie Snell, your producer from about May of 2022 to May of 2023. It's been amazing working with you, learning how to do radio, learning how to produce, making all the fabulous imaging that you've worked with for the past uh, year or so. And I wish the best for you in your retirement, whether it's just taking it easy or getting back into being a lawyer. All the best. Love you. Okay, um, Time Magazine, next uh, day after tomorrow, is coming out with its... Person of the year. And again, person can be a collective sort of thing. Uh, Let's see, Jeff. I think it should be, Jeff, with the economy doing so well, in the opinion of at least some people, I think it should be Janet Yellen. I'm not sure what economy that they're looking at, but that's it. Jeff, to me, I think it should be the NRA. Jeff, I think it should be Vladimir Putin. Now, this is an interesting one. Putin is not on their list of finalists. He started something in Ukraine and has thrown the world into chaos between the energy chaos of the war he started, uh, the chaos of the war, and so far no one has been able to effectively stop him. He might not be a good person for person of the year, but he's definitely a terrible sort of person. Jeff, my persons of the year would be the survivors of the Waukesha Christmas Parade uh yeah i guess that would be 2020 even though the the attack happened in 2021 one of our texters was saying hey if we were going to do local i'd say judge jennifer doro would be my person of the year for the way she handled the whole um trial let's see um eight five five six one six one six twenty jeff i would say it would be um elon musk for everything he's done with twitter all right Let's start here with David in Caledonia. David, you're on WTMJ. Hey, good afternoon,
5: Jeff. i got a unique one with a, with a plus and a minus perspective. I believe it should be the Second Amendment. Uh, the good reason is obviously we as a country have the right to bear arms, and which protects us against uh, countries, for example, China, where you can't have arms, and so if you, you try to do an uprising, you get killed or locked up or Canada or Japan, who have now banned arms because of all the mass killings, whereas the bad, obviously, is all the mass killings that we have had in the United States. So it's had an impact on our country, the Second Amendment, both as a positive and as a
2: negative. Yeah, thanks, and I guess there's always, you know, that's one of these sort of evergreen things that you you could always talk about. I mean, I don't know that the Second Amendment is, for example, the... I don't know that that's kind of the person of the year, but I mean, there were years where you you had the, the survivors of gun violence and things like that. And I'm not downplaying any of that, except that I think that if you're trying to identify some of the seminal events that occurred this year, that's not one that's going to make the list. Elon Musk. Well, I think Elon Musk. Aside from the fact that he was named two years ago, I mean, I think that the takeover of Twitter is certainly something. Uh, Xi Jinping from China, eh, eh. the Supreme Court. I think you can make a strong argument for that because the decision to overturn Roe v.ersus Wade had so many different impacts. Not just not just the decision itself to reverse like a fifty year decision, but also the effect that that decision had. On the elections, where from the perspective of, of Democrats, that, that was the issue. I mean, that was, it was, look, you know, we need to protect abortion rights, and the only way you can do that is by electing Democrats. So it wasn't just, if you wanted to make an argument for the Supreme Court, it's not just the idea that, hey, they reversed Roe versus Wade, but also it is the effect that, that, that had. And if you want to like localize it, regardless of how you feel about this, you have the fact that, um, you know, candidly, you you have now abortion for all intents and purposes is illegal in states like Wisconsin. So, if, if somebody wants to get an abortion, you've got to travel to Minnesota, you've got to travel to you know Illinois. So you've got the political upheaval, you've got the the personal issues that are caused, and you've got you know reversing one of the seminal decisions. I could see that, Liz Cheney. I think that's probably a little localized. I mean, I think that that's I think a little bit narrow for that, Mackenzie Scott, I don't know, protesters in Iran, I don't think so. DeSantis, clearly, I, I think DeSantis is clearly somebody I could understand where that, that would come from, but I think, I, I don't think DeSantis's time has come now. If DeSantis, a, a year from now, um, has emerged as as the face of the Republican Party, or two years from now, he's elected as the next president of the United States, which I think is certainly a possibility um, I think you've, you've got that options. Those are all going on there. Jeff, I think for better or worse, I would say it would be the Supreme Court. Understand that. Uh, let's talk to Michael in Lake Geneva. Michael, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. How are you today? I am well, thank you. Okay, who should Time name? as their person of the year?
5: Uh, I was a subscriber to Time magazine for about 35 years. And I kind of understand the dynamics that go into the choice, right. and it's not always pretty. And Vladimir Putin, should uh, he has kind of tilted the world on its axis. Yes, there's a lot of things affecting just us in the United States, the Supreme Court, etc. But Putin has absolutely changed the, the dynamics of the economy, uh, not just here, but certainly over in Europe. And certainly, over in uh, the uh, uh, you know in, in the mm-hmm. entirety of Europe, in China, in India, I mean, he has really set things back badly for a lot of people, and it's as I say, it's all for the the ugly reasons. But he's the one who has really carried the right. most influence in the world today.
2: Well, because nobody, and I understand what you're saying, because you could make the argument that that none of. None of this other stuff happens. Like, for example, Volodymyr Zelensky, Zelensky as a president of Ukraine doesn't emerge if it wasn't for Putin and his aggression towards Ukraine, for example.
5: Exactly. Everything to Putin is reactionary. Look at, the, uh, you know, what's happened to uh, oil, gas, natural gas. Um, again, the lifestyles over in Europe, it is all initiated by a madman sitting in Moscow.
2: Yeah no thanks for calling and I and I um and, and that's again using the criteria the Time uses which is for better or worse an, an individual or a collective group of individuals who's had the greatest impact on the world I can understand where that comes from um, Jeff I think it should be Queen Elizabeth just to honor her long tenure as queen yeah I don't I. I don't think that's gonna. I don't think that's going to happen, and she wouldn't be on my list. All right, the overwhelming choice, and we're swamped with uh, this. Um, here's one. Originally thinking the U.S. Supreme Court, but people are making really good arguments for Vladimir Putin. I, I think, and and this is, I guess, if I were, let, let's put aside the, the time list for a second. They're finalists. If you were to say to me, okay, Jeff, where, where does this go? Name an individual who you think deserves to be person of the year that to me this year, and some years are kind of tough and I understand some of the arguments, but to me this year, I, I think it's clearly, you know, Zelensky, um, th- you know, think back to, when the original invasion of Ukraine occurred, was it February or early March, the, the general thinking was it, it's it's going to be a three or four day war. I mean the the Russian military is going to move in and they're just they're going to be viewed as conquering heroes and they are going to take over the the country. And um I, I think that that's not what played out. That that's not how it happened. And and I think the fact that you know he he is the the face and it's and, and look I under, I appreciate that what's going on in Ukraine is much different it's it goes well beyond Vladimir Zelensky but but he is certainly the face of this embattled country defending itself uh, against a a Russian. Invasion, you know, and I think it's the green shirt, the tough, no-nonsense demeanor, um, his reassuring addresses to the Ukrainian people, and the fact that what you have is that now Ukraine appears to be turning the tide, and, and not only wasn't Russia able to take over the country, but now you have Russia being pushed back on all these various fronts. So I think if you are asking me to pick a person, and I understand the argument for Putin, and I think that's compelling, my three finalists would have been Putin, it would have been the Supreme Court for the reasons we've talked about, but if I had a choice and I had a vote here, to me it would be the Ukrainian president, Vladimir Zelensky, who candidly, I think... <sighs> And, and this might not accurately reflect who Zelensky really is, but he has emerged this year, at least as the face of a, of a free Ukraine, the person who's providing the inspirational leadership to his country at a time when I think a lot of people thought his country was just going to get swallowed up by the, the Soviets. And, and that's not what happened. And I understand some people don't like Zelensky. I, I get it. I understand that. But I think this year, if you were asking me somebody who like stands out as, again, the, the face of Ukraine fighting overwhelming odds and succeeding to me, I think it's Zelensky. So I won't be surprised to me. This is this is an easy one. Putin and the Supreme Court would be number two and three in one and not necessarily in that order.
3: Hi, Jeff. This is Joe Shalfa. Congratulations for your well-deserved retirement Thank you for being that rational, warm, and comfortable voice from Milwaukee for all these years. Not only were you a great colleague, but also one of the kindest, most generous people I've ever met. I hope there are many holes in ones for you as you enjoy this next chapter.
2: 1218. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ, our text line. What do you say about Manafort's charge of conspiracy against the U.S.? Okay, good question. The, I, as a former federal prosecutor, whenever you have two or more people that are involved in a plan to do something illegal, you, you always throw in a conspiracy charge. Um again and because the conspiracy charge the basis is you have to have overt acts, you know, underlying acts, and then you have to have agreement between people. The conspiracy to against the United States is it's a fraud charge. The allegation is they conspired together. In this case, it would be Paul Manafort and Richard Gates, who was his partner. They conspired together between themselves and with others to defraud the United States, to, to not pay the taxes that they were owed. They conspired to, uh, again, um, hide to launder money. They conspire to hide what they allege were the illegal acts. I mean it's not a treason charge or anything like that. It it is a conspiracy charge. They did what they did in concert with each other. So the idea that, oh, there's this conspiracy to defraud and people think it's treason, that, that's not what this is. And I'm not downplaying it because again, you know, Paul Manafort is in a ton of trouble. He's just in a ton of trouble and it appears like the FBI has been mounting a case for the last couple of years in involving his efforts to take millions of dollars in fees that he was generating from the Ukraine government at the time, the president of the Ukraine, and, and hide it. He had to pay, supposed to pay taxes on it. He was supposed to disclose what he was doing to the U.S., and he decided he didn't want to do that, and he became rich beyond the dreams of avarice, and now he has been caught. And I have, again, no sympathy for him. I'm just saying, if people are out there thinking this is the smoking gun that brings down the Trump administration, um no. No, 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 it, it's it, it's not. Now, the fair question, again, would be uh, of the universe of people that President Trump during his campaign could have reached out for and tried to bring in for his uh, again, his campaign manager. How do you end up with Paul Manafort? That, and that is a very, very fair question. And I guess that the. the The issue becomes, does Manafort have some inside knowledge of some other illegal wrongdoing that was engaged in by now President Trump during the campaign or other campaign officials? And will he be willing to – does he have anything like that? And does he is he in a position to try to offer that in a way to, uh, again, dig himself out of the substantial legal hole that he's in. And I guess that's where you need to wait. But the idea and all this attention that this indictment is getting saying, oh, this is, you know, this is close to the Trump administration. No, it, it's, it's not. It's stuff that in large cases predated his involvement with Trump. But it's a bad thing. And I'm certainly not going to defend Paul Manafort. The more interesting story to me, again, is this whole question involving pop Um, who He's a guy who's now entered a guilty plea to lying to the FBI about his contacts with Russia. Now, so far, all the reports are um, he was trying to, again, he was trying to reach out to Russian officials to set up a meeting with the Trump campaign. It apparently went nowhere, but when he was confronted by this, he lied to the FBI. I'm not even sure if the underlying, even if they ended up having a meeting, I'm not at all convinced that that in and of itself would be a criminal act. Matter of fact, I think most Most lawyers that look at this say it probably wouldn't, although there's another school of thought on that. But I guess this is, to me, the more interesting thing. He's agreed to cooperate. Does he know something about the campaign? So far, all the reports are whenever he tried to peddle this story and set up a meeting, he got rebuffed by upper-level campaign people. But this, if you're trying to figure out where you want to go with this, this this is the more interesting, I think, of the two. He's a much smaller fish than Paul Manafort, not a big name guy at all. But if you want to go down the conspiracy route, if you look at, go back to Watergate and you look at how Watergate unraveled, Watergate unraveled not because of the Haldeman's and the Ehrlichmans, it unraveled because of the smaller level players who got squeezed. Now, I'm not suggesting that. I think it is extremely premature, but there's going to be a lot of heavy breathing today. I'm just saying, you know, be cautious about it. I've read the indictment. I don't think this Manafort indictment in and of itself is reason, again, other than the optics, which are admittedly once again bad. I don't think the 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 Manafort indictment is something that you automatically say, oh, this is the end of the Trump administration. Um, Watch the Papadopoulos thing. I don't know if it would ever go to Trump, but if he's got some dirt, this might cause some other campaign dominoes to fall maybe. Stick around. This is Jeff Wagner.
6: Jeff Wagner, Scott Warris here. Congratulations on your retirement, 25 years at WTMJ. Obviously, I will look back fondly at the time that we spent together and I was producing for you or sharing a microphone uh, as as a host at TMJ alongside you. I never said this to you at the time. Now's my last chance, I guess. First, thank you for how you helped me. And secondly, all these years, from the bottom of my heart, I really truly believe it should have been either pajama gram or pajama-gram, but not pajama-gram, or for that matter, pajama-gram, and that feels
2: really good to, to get off my chest.
6: Merry Christmas to you, Fran, and the family, and again, congratulations, Jeff.
2: Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. So Eric Bilstead, occasionally I'm accused of burying the lead, which oftentimes I do on purpose, just to kind of like make people listen and say, where, where is he going with the story? But okay. I am not going to bury the lead on today's, no matter what else I talk about today. And I've got all sorts of great things that we we're going to discuss. I, I want to start off with the most important thing going on, at least in my life today. It is my wife's birthday. Hi. How about so, that? Happy birthday. I, so I, lest I forget this, <laughs> happy birthday, darling. I love you very much. Hope you enjoyed your present. And she's actually, I, I said, what do you want to do tonight? Do you want to have a big party or something? And she said, let's let's get the kids and the grandkids. Let's go out for pizza. I said, done. Excellent. So that, that's it. So before we go anywhere else, okay, happy birthday, dear. So that's, we, nice. we will not bury the lead in that. All right. That being said, let's get started. As we do with the first segment of every program, we live stream on Facebook. So go to Facebook.com slash 620 WTMJ. You can tune in and watch us as we go about our business. In addition, and I always try to remind people of this, I know more and more of you don't get an opportunity to listen to the entire show because you've got like this real life thing that that kicks in occasionally. Um, But more and more people listen to the podcast. I see the numbers every month. You can go to WTMJ.com. Just click on the mobile apps. You can subscribe to the Wagner Show podcast and then listen to it on your own time. I hear from a lot of people who will, uh, again, be listening to the show. Maybe they hear an hour during the noon hour, but then, you know, they're listening to it at night as they're working out. Or uh, interestingly, I'll wake up sometimes in the morning and I'll check my email and I have a whole series of emails from people like at two or three o'clock in the morning. Well, those are people that are listening to the podcast and are hearing the the show and they want to respond. So um, check that out. It's another way to participate in the program. The city of Milwaukee has had a flag, and the current edition of the flag um, has been around since 1954 or 1955. If you are watching us on Facebook, that's what it looks like. But it, it's a it's a dated by any stretch of the imagination. It's it's dated. the The flag, for example, has the the. Uh, has the Milwaukee Braves. Now, keep in mind, it goes back to 1955. So I'm sure it was very, very timely at the time, but it's got the Milwaukee Braves logo as part of the flag. Okay, the Braves have been gone since, what, 1960. Five. Now, some people are offended by the, the headdress and stuff that was the Brave symbol. Uh, regardless of how you feel about that, it's the Milwaukee Braves who haven't been around since 1965. It's got an illustration. Part of it is, is County Stadium. County Stadium's been gone for going on 20 years now. It's just, it is dated. So the powers that be decided we need, we being the city of Milwaukee, needs a, a new flag. So... What they did, and this goes back to about 2016, what they did is they decided to um, ha- they created an organization called the People's Flag of Milwaukee group. And what what this group did, and you might remember this, is they they had a design contest and they they threw it open to the public and they said, here, you know, give us give us designs for the flags. And over a thousand people. Entered the design contest, and then what happened after that is you had this committee, which selected five of the thousand that ended up being submitted. All right, and then of the thousand entries, what happened was it was narrowed to to five. They had a, a field of a they had a a, a group that decided to, you know, narrow it down to five. And then what they did is they had an online vote. And after the end of this whole process, they chose the current edition of what, what they wanted to be the flag, which is generally referred to as, as the sunrise flag, sunrise over the lake. Now, if you look at it, I don't know that it's something that I would have necessarily chosen. But you see these flags, even though they've never officially been adopted. I mean, the the Common Council has never officially signed off and saying, this is our flag. But since this goes back to 2016, you've had a number of these flags made, and you see these flags all over. You see them at Miller Park. You see them all over downtown. The current uh, people's flag, again, it's... The the top half is yellow, the bottom half is blue, and it features a a sunrise or a sunset. There's a a white ball in the middle. Top half, it's white, and the bottom half, it's like a little bit of blue. Again, it's it's designed to show the, the sun rising over the lake. All right. Now, reasonable people can disagree about whether or not this is a great flag. But the truth is, and I found this talking about art in this area, you know, you're never going to get people to agree. If it were up to me, they would have taken that big, ugly orange sunburst at the end of Wisconsin Avenue. They would have gotten rid of it years and years ago. But I'm told that that's art and it can't be be moved. So anyhow, this was, after this lengthy process and the voting, this this was the the choice, the, the people's flag, Well, all right. The the Common Council, like I say, has never voted on this to formally adopt it, even though you see this all over. Well, now what's happened is you have the Milwaukee Arts Board, which has decided we don't think we like the flag or at least we're not sure that we should go ahead and formally give this flag the imprimatur. So what they say, and I'm looking at the story on Milwaukee, I'm I'm sorry, urban Milwaukee, which is, you know, one of the online websites that talks about the city. You know, they've been covering this and they quote, you know, one of the people, you know, who's on this art board is saying, we decided that although the prior committee did a very good job and they're to be commended for the work they did, the flag is not inclusive enough We would like to see something better done if the city is going to put their name on it. And then they go on to quote some committee members as saying, well, we've had some concerns about the lack of bilingual information, a shortcoming in outreach to the city's African-American population and potential issues with a lack of citywide awareness around the contest. So they're saying, despite the fact that we went through all this in 2016, maybe we should start over. While acknowledging that at the end of starting over, maybe they might come back and still adopt the flag and out there. So we're really the arts board wants to take us back to square one, except they estimate that the process of starting over would probably cost about one hundred thousand dollars to again. Begin the whole process. Now, this isn't making new flags. That's only a few thousand bucks. But the process of, okay, let's form another committee. Let's go back to square one. Again, the estimates are, well, it, it could be up to $100,000 or so. Now, let me say this at the outset. To me, this is so quintessentially Milwaukee that the fact that you, you can't you can't make a decision – They can't live with decisions that are made, that there's always this tinkering and this dithering, and there's always an expenditure of money. That's number one. Number two. While I acknowledge that, you know, there needs to be a new flag, and while I don't know that I would have selected the current flag, it would strike me that with all the current demands that are there, we've got crime problems, you've got employment problems, you've got lead in the water. Every time it rains hard in the city of Milwaukee, they're dumping poop into Lake Michigan. <laughs> Is it really the best use of money to spend up to $100,000 to reopen the question of what a city flag should be. They had this process. You are never going to make everybody happy. Some people love this new flag, other people think it's awful, but the idea of reopening this in 2018, dragging this on for another year or two and spending $100,000 of taxpayer money or more, I think is absolutely ridiculous. So what's it gonna be? Money for a continued study of a flag Or is there better ways that those taxpayer dollars could be spent? We discuss in a moment. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Jeff Wagner's
1: 25-year career at WTMJ comes to an end. For the rest of the year, dive back in the archives with us as we bring you the best of Jeff Wagner throughout his career. You're listening to the best of Jeff Wagner on WTMJ.
2: You want a classic example of, in my opinion, politically correctness run, completely, totally amok. This is it. There is a high school in San Francisco. It is George Washington High School. It is named after the founder of this country, George Washington. At the high school, up and down a big staircase, they have a giant mural. Did I mention this is George Washington High School? The mural stretches 1,600 square feet. It's got 16 or 17 different panels. It has been there for 83 years. It was painted 83 years ago. This is George Washington High School, and the mural depicts the life of George Washington, in, it's got various panels, and for example, you know, it, it shows him as the, you know in the, the, the Valley Forge thing, and it shows him at Mount Vernon, and it sh- at his estate in Mount Vernon, and it shows him as a farmer. Well, it is controversial, I guess because in one of, the, one of the panels on the mural, it shows him on his plantation, and there are some slaves that are in the background, because George Washington owned slaves. In another panel, there's George Washington fighting off uh, Native Americans, fighting off Indians. Now, it, it's so, you've got those two historical references, and then you've got the whole panoply of George Washington's life on this giant mural, 1600 square feet at George Washington High School. Well the Cal- this is San Francisco. The board uh, the school board has voted to paint over this 83 year old mural because they are concerned that an African American student might be disturbed walking by this and seeing that there is a depiction of, of a slave in the field. They're also concerned that a Native American student might be offended walking by this and seeing, a hey, George Washington involved in a battle against Native Americans, all right? So the school board, because they don't want anybody to be offended, they've said we're going to get rid of this 83-year-old mural. Now, interestingly, this has created a huge issue because you have not only just people in the school district, but you have a number of historians who are coming forward and saying, look, th- this is... You're trying to sanitize history here. You know, this is... This this has been there for 83 years. It has historical significance. And, and yeah, what are we supposed to do? Pretend that George Washington didn't own slaves? Pretend that sometimes, when you know that there weren't battles against Native Americans and things like that, you know, they said you know you're, you're trying to do is whitewash history in the name of political correctness. And you know what? These critics are absolutely 100 percent right. We've only got a couple minutes, but I want to talk about this. All right, is is there any legitimate justification for taking? a mural that depicts the life of George Washington and saying we've got to literally whitewash over this because there's a couple aspects of his life that some people might find to be, I guess, uncomfortable by 2019 standards. All right. So this controversy we're talking about is George Washington High School in San Francisco has and has had for the last 83 years this giant, Mural, sixteen different panels dep- depicting different aspects of Washington's life. The controversy is in one of the panels, he's shown fighting Indians. All right? in another one of the panels, he's shown on his plantation at Mount Vernon, and there are slaves in the background. The San Francisco school board has decided, oh, this is just our our, our students can't handle it. We have to get rid of it. By the way, I didn't tell you to get rid of this mural that's been there for eighty three years. It's going to cost six hundred thousand dollars. Six hundred. Thousand dollars because they've got to do environmental impact studies. I don't understand how it can cost that much, but that's what it's going to cost. Interestingly, you have historians from the area and all over the country who are saying, look, th- this is literally an effort to whitewash history. This mural, unlike Confederate statues, for example, it- it's not set up necessarily to honor. George Washington but what it is it's a depiction of various aspects of Washington's life and the question becomes if you're going to get rid of this I mean, where do you stop? Does this now mean that we have to look at every history book? And if the history book has, you know, a painting that shows somebody owning slaves or, you know, some of the the wars that existed in the fights and the battles that broke out between colonizers and Native Americans, we have to get rid of all that? We can't teach that? We can't tell anybody this? This is the danger that we have nowadays when we're dealing with this world of of political correctness. You know, it's interesting because this particular issue is kind of uniting people on the left and, and the right. You have a number of people on the right, like me, who are saying you can't sanitize history, you can't whitewash history. You have a number of people on the left, particularly, who are saying, look, this is this is art. You know, you can't, it's really very dangerous. If we're going to get to a point where we're going to start censoring art because there's something somewhere that somebody might find to be, you know, offensive. And then a number of you are making the point on tweets that's sitting there and saying, look, this is, you have to teach history. These are things that happened. You have to be able to learn from history, and if we're going to pretend that things didn't happen, or pretend that things didn't exist, well, then history is doomed to repeat itself. So, the school board has decided to get rid of the mural. The community is in an uproar. I mean, I guess I'm saying if you get rid of the mural, don't you have to change the name? If we're going to decide that George Washington was such a horrible, awful person, and you can't have a mural depicting what he did in his life, if that's the case, if it if he's not good enough to have a mural, do we need to take George Washington's name off the high school? Do we need to take it off of, you know, various cities that are named after him? Do we need to take him off, you know, currency? I mean, where does this stop? And I understand it's California, and I understand it's very left-wing, and I understand it's San Francisco. But at the same time, there is a bigger principle here. You have censorship that is alive and well from the left in the name of political correctness in this country. And it's time for everybody else to stand up and say, no, enough is in enough
1: you're listening to our celebration of jeff wagner's 25-year career at wtmj have them hold the tea time i'll be right with you guys i gotta do something here i don't have a script i guess i'll just wing it hi jeff wagner this is jonathan green formerly of the greenhouse there on wtmj i retired a lot of years ago and let me tell you retirement is tough I heard that you were gonna retire, I advise against it. I suggest you work for 15 or so more years and then maybe consider retiring. It's just, it's so tough out here. But if you don't take my advice and you do decide to retire, I wish you well. It's been great knowing you and, and it was great working with you and it's also just great being here on the radio once again. So long, buddy. How's that without a script? Okay, guys,
2: start the golf cart. I'm done. So um, today, if you have Netflix, there, there's a new Netflix comedy that that's, it dropped today. It's, it's a 10-part comedy, and it's called Blockbuster. And it's, it, okay, there's, at one point in time, you know, for Blockbuster, there were thousands of Blockbuster videos all across the country. There were a number of them in, in, around here. And if you are of a certain age, you can remember the big deal about Blockbuster. You know, the movies would come out like on a Thursday or Friday, and people would flock to Blockbuster to, to rent movies and you'd physically get the movie and you'd be going up and down the aisles and you'd be getting, okay, these are the new releases and you'd grab them and then you'd go home and you'd pop, you know, you'd pop the thing in your VCR and you'd watch the, the movie and things like that. And then you'd have to return it. And remember, they'd say things like be kind, rewind and all that. So Blockbuster was the big deal. Now there is only one Blockbuster that's left in the country and that is in Bend, Oregon. It's the only Blockbuster that, that's, that's left. So this show that's on Netflix is called Blockbuster and it's based on this this one blockbuster that's that's left in Oregon. Now it's not set in Oregon it's apparently set in Michigan, but th- this is the premise that this is the this is the last blockbuster that's there. And it's it's supposed to be a comedy sort of akin to the the office. I don't know if it's any good. Haven't watched it. I'm going to probably if I, get, <laughs> if I get some time tonight I'll probably watch a, a couple of the episodes to see if it's good. Some of the reviews are kind of are so-so. They say it's, it's not that great, but I don't know. I, I, I don't trust reviews and stuff. But I was thinking about this because it's such, to me, it is such an interesting concept because, look, I appreciate that if you are of a certain age, when, when I talk about this blockbuster experience, you, you have no clue about what I'm talking What is this blockbuster thing? I mean, why would you go to block? You mean you'd actually have to physically go and, and rent a, a tape? And then you'd have to bring it home and you'd have to rewind it and you'd have to put it in your machine and then you'd have to watch it and then you'd have to take it out of the machine and you'd have to drive back to Blockbuster and you'd have to put it in this like this this slot that they have. You you gotta be kidding me. You didn't really have to do that. Well, yeah, I mean that's that's it. In the in the era before Al Gore invented the internet and you had streaming and things like that. Yeah, that's that's what you had to do. You had to go down to Blockbuster and actually get this. Now nowadays I, I understand people People don't do that. We all have streaming services, or most of us have streaming services, and the deal is, you know, you you go on, and you say, okay, well, let's let's see, you know, what's on, what movies do they have on Netflix or Peacock or Apple TV or or whatever? And here I'm just gonna I'm just gonna hit a couple buttons, and now the movie's gonna start, and you're gonna watch it. So I, I understand this idea of going and actually, you know, physically picking this up and bringing it back. I, I understand that that's kind of you know sort of like horse and buggy type of stuff but but at the same time blockbuster video it was it was cool and it was at least i think it was and it was revolutionary in its day because in those days before streaming and things like this this was the way that you could get movies that you wanted to see movies that maybe you'd missed in the theaters or whatever and actually take them home and not have to wait until, okay, gee, on, on Sunday night, ABC is going to show, you know, this particular movie with commercial. Okay, in honor of the fact that this new this new comedy is dropping on Netflix today, set in the last remaining blockbuster. I, I mean, look, I understand it's one of those things where just technology has passed it by. But I admit, I just used to love the blockbuster experience, especially as somebody who loves movies, just walking up and down the aisle Back in the day, and it was just so amazing. I mean, nowadays, I get it. You, you go on Netflix or you go on you know Google search and you say, okay, this is the movie I want to see. Where is it streaming? And then you figure out if you've got that streaming service and you just go do it. So there's no need for it anymore. But in its day, Blockbuster, I thought, was just absolutely exceptional. I understand there's an election going on, but let's have some fun. Let's take a little bit of walk down memory lane. Remember Blockbusters? And in a way, you kind of miss them.
6: Senator Ron Johnson here. Congratulations to Jeff Wagner for 25 years at WTMJ Radio, informing the public and telling the truth. Jeff's unwavering commitment to conservative principles and his ability to effectively convey them has had a big and lasting impact. I certainly wish you all the best in your well-deserved retirement, Jeff. Your voice will be missed.
2: See, I, w- I was just thinking because when I started doing the show full time on WTMJ 25 years ago, this week, I mean, Blockbuster back then, Blockbuster was still this really, really big thing. Um, at at its height, there were over nine thousand Blockbusters, over nine thousand. Then what happened is the the corporation closed all their corporate stores in early 2014. There were about fifty remaining franchise stores and in july of 2018 there became one there's one blockbuster store left it's in bend oregon there's there's a, and what got me thinking about this is that there's a, a a comedy that they call blockbuster which is based on it's not set in bend oregon but it's set in fictionally the last blockbuster that's dropping on netflix today i don't know if it's good or not but i kept I kept thinking about What a big deal Blockbuster was. Jeff, it was the best video, uh, best babysitter before video games. Jeff, it was fun and easy to go out and rent movies, but it honestly seemed like a chore to return them um yeah jeff many many times the new releases were gone they only carried so many copies yeah that was the deal you had to either make arrangements and and get there or some places would let you reserve them jeff i absolutely miss the old video stores like blockbuster it was an exciting time in my younger years i honestly prefer the store to the streaming um yeah, that that's um, it, Jeff. Be kind and rewind. I still have my blockbuster rental card, so, card somewhere. Um, yeah, you've got that, um, Jeff. Blockbuster was so big back in my day; it had its own its own saying. If you were a bar hopper, you had to, and you decided not to go out, you would tell your buddy, "Sorry, it's a blockbuster night." Jeff, I love Blockbuster. It was fun taking my family and picking out movies for the whole weekend. It also made you get off your butt and go out and do something. Um Yeah, Jeff, I miss it. Blockbuster came about when my kids were little. It was like a big family event for us to go to Blockbuster, grab some carryout, and then have movie night on Fridays. Both of our kids loved it as well as my husband and I. There was something for everyone, and it does bring back happy memories. Let's talk to rick in illinois rick here on wtmj good afternoon good afternoon jeff uh,
6: yeah blackbuster great memories uh like going on Friday night with my wife to go pick out movies and we you look at like look at all the boxes and read, yeah. read what the movies were about that's
4: so
2: fun oh yeah it was it was just no thanks to call i'm sorry your cell phone's a little bit tinny but yeah it, it was great i and it, it was again these were like date nights one of our texters says jeff when I was in high school we rented movies all the time. It was a heck of an excuse to sit on the couch next to your girlfriend. Well, yeah, there was that. Jeff, I remember trying to score any Alfred Hitchcock movie on a Saturday. Well that see, that was the thing. If you're a movie buff, it and nowadays I, I get it. If you didn't if you didn't grow up before video stores and VCRs and things like that, you know, it's like you, you don't get it. But it was at the time before blockbusters you were at the mercy of what was at the movie theaters, or you know what that they would show on on t v so that was exactly it if you said hey I, I, it's it 's Halloween and I want to see a bunch of scary movies or something like that well you, you didn't have those choices now you could go to Blockbuster and you could you know, grab these. Jeff, I love going to video stores. We had a family video by us that just recently closed a couple of years ago, and I was so upset. It was so much fun to go and look at the movies, buy the popcorn, all the candy and the stuff. You know, you probably shouldn't be buying, but you do it anyways. People nowadays want everything at their fingertips. Well, I mean, look, I'm not going to be critical of it. I, I the, the convenience is, is just a huge factor and and the breadth of stuff. It's like I was talking about earlier this week, I think, when it's – you know, it, it's it's a challenge that bookstores have. You know, I, I found an obscure book that I wanted to buy from like 40 years ago. I go on Amazon and they deliver it that day to my house. You could go to the bookstore and they're not going to have it in stock. And, you know, it, it's going to take a week to get it. No, I mean, it, it's, I mean, Blockbuster the technology has surpassed it, but it doesn't mean it's not fun. Jeff, Blockbuster was my daughter's first job when she was 16. She became best friends with a manager who was a few years older. They were in each other's weddings later on. I love to read the movie jackets. It really helps determine if it was something that I wanted to watch or or not. Um, Jeff, I loved going to the video store and arguing with my girlfriend about what movie to rent. Yeah, well, I tried to do that with my wife, and I, I pretty much always um, lost. <laughs> I, I pretty much always lost. Jeff, I thought it was always so exciting to take the kids on Friday night and go to Blockbuster picking out movies for the entire weekend. It made watching TV a little bit more of a special thing rather than just turning it on. We also used to let the kids pick out a snack like Milk Duds or something like that or Dots um, that was in the big box just like you were in a movie theater. Um, you know that's you know that is of course very cool. Jeff, we used to go to Paradise Video on North Water Street. Yeah, there were some other um, there were other video stores that were out there, but of course, Blockbuster was, was the big one. Brett, uh, Brett, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon.
5: Good afternoon. Thanks for taking my call. Yes, sir. This is the uh, this is the ultimate irony. Back when Blockbuster was nine thousand stores strong, they passed I think three times yeah. on buying Netflix when it <laughs> when it was in its infancy. Yeah. Four pennies on the dollar. Yeah. No, wait, wait, wait. We're, we're brick and mortar. People like watching movies on their phones, on their laptops, with without a you know a, a CD or a tape. That will never fly.
2: Yeah. Yeah. It was it, right. They just they just never saw that coming. Yeah. You're you're yeah. right they, they 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 had the opportunity to own the, the streaming services as well, and just yeah. and just didn't have the vision to do that. Yep, it's no. missed that one more chance. Quick one Yeah.
5: Do you do you know what company actually invented the digital camera? I do not. A couple of, a couple of guys in Kodak. Okay. <laughs> Sure. Same same story. They they brought it to the powers that be said, look, look at this. You won't need film. They're like, yeah, but we make film. We'll pass on that.
2: (laughs) Yeah. Thanks for the call. Okay, this is again, I'm swamped with text. I really do appreciate all the texts that people send. Somebody just sent me their blockbuster video membership card. You know, the the note is still have the card. Now, Now, what I think is interesting is that they've been gone forever. You still got the card and you knew where it was. So in the space of the 10 minutes we've been having this conversation, you could find it, take a picture of it and, and send it to me via, via text. Um, Jeff, yeah, I prefer the current format. It was ideal for the times so with technology. It's changed how we do things. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I'm not, I, I'm not condemning the streaming stuff and, and I love having this, this universe of, oh, gosh, I haven't seen that movie in ages or that sounds like something interesting. And then being able to say, oh, well, it's on Amazon Prime. I can get it for free and, and watching it. No, I I I love it. Um, and, and so it it's just like we would never go back to the age before Al Gore invented the Internet. But it wasn't really that long ago that Blockbuster was the hip and happening place. And if you want to kind of maybe revert to some of those days or whatever, like I say, there's this new show that's dropping on Netflix this evening.
5: Hey, Jeff, it's Steve Wexler here with hearty congratulations and a couple quick thoughts on your radio career. I have always appreciated your common sense, your authentic approach. You never tried to be something you weren't, and the audience knew it. That's one of the reasons you have been such an important and successful voice in our community and on our station. It has been a real pleasure. It's been an honor being part of your talk radio journey over the years. I join all of your Good Karma Brands teammates in wishing you and Fran all the best and may I personally just say thank you for being part of WTMJ's amazing
1: legacy.
2: We are back. Well, we live in interesting times. Lots of stuff going on in the world, and it's been a while since we've checked in with the senior senator from the state of Wisconsin, Ron Johnson. Senator, good afternoon. Well, Jeff, how are you doing? I am well, thank you. Um, interesting times in D.C. and across the world, huh?
6: I would say perilous times. Yeah, but yeah they're, they're interesting, too, too interesting for my my liking.
2: Okay, Senator, let, let's start. Let's talk about the, the, the Middle, the, the Mideast. Um, and I guess there, there's many sort of questions here, but let, let, let's start with the question of what what should the U.S.'s role be in supporting Israel? And I understand that that's a big question. You can take it wherever you want.
6: Well, first, recognize the root cause. And, and right now, the root cause is Iran. And the uh, Obama administration and now the Biden administration have coddled Iran, uh, funneled hundreds of billions of dollars into not their economy, primarily their their military. They use that money to uh, to fund and direct groups like Hamas and Hezbollah and the Shiite militias, that are now attacking U.S. troops. Um, if if America, if the same number of Americans were slaughtered, I mean brutally slaughtered, as what happened. Uh, on October 7th in Israel, 1,400 Israelis lost their lives. That, that would be equivalent to about 50,000 Americans. Uh, you can imagine what America uh, and what Americans would require of our government and military to eliminate that threat so it would never happen again. And that's what Israel has to do. And what America's role ought to be is to support Israel in its right to defend itself and eliminate the threat of Hamas. And it's going to be awful, awful. It's going to be messy, but you know we, we would do, we we would demand mm-hmm. that our government and our military do exactly what Israel is going to have to do.
2: So I assume you will be on board when legislation fin- ultimately comes to to the Senate, providing um, a large amount of of aid to Israel.
6: Yes, and it's really not going to be you know in the scheme things that large an amount. Uh, right now, what the, the administration proposed about fourteen billion dollars in their uh, overall package—that uh, apparently is what Israel requested—but um, I don't think that should be packaged with anything else. The, anything else we put in that bill. And what the president's done is there's more controversial aspects to that. So support for Israel is is widespread. It's bipartisan. It's it's almost unanimous except for the Squad. Um, why don't we pass that and make sure that uh, Israel gets the support it needs? Let's not uh, hold that hostage for less uh, popular
2: spending. Yeah, we'll, we'll talk about Ukraine in just a second. But before we leave the topic of the Middle East, I, I agree completely with what you said about uh, this is uh, a lot of what is going on now. It has been fostered by by Iran and, and, and the agitation. What? Long range, what should the government, what should our government be doing? Because my, my sense is there's a lot of the countries in the Middle East that they, there's no love lost for Iran either.
6: Well, first of all, recognize reality. You know, it drove me nuts when Obama was negotiating that nuclear deal. Iran was never going to give up their nuclear ambitions, uh, but they were always going to uh, secretly pursue those. Uh, pursue the missile technology, and that's exactly what they've done. So, you know, recognize reality, recognize the malign force that Iran is. What I think the U.S. should have done is, at least initially quietly, I would have supplied Israel with all the uh, bunker-busting bombs that they would need and the refueling tankers to be able to deliver those uh, bunker-busting bombs uh, if they perceived an existential threat to Iran. I would have done that. I would have done that very quietly. I would have given them everything they needed. Then I would have announced it to the world, but primarily to Iran, as a really large warning to deter Iran from becoming a nuclear power. That's what I would have done. But we haven't done that. It doesn't look like we're going to do that. Instead, we've got this mess on our hands because of the weakness of the Biden administration, of the Obama administration, and how they their policies across the board have weakened America. When, when America is weak, the world is a far more dangerous place, and we're living in that dangerous place right now.
2: To, to that point, we're talking to the senior senator from the state of Wisconsin, Ron Johnson. To, to that point, Senator, between October 7th and October 24th, there were 21 American troops who were injured by drones, drone and rocket strikes in Iraq. And, and three in Syria by Iran-backed militia groups. And um, what, what's happened is the, the U.S. has now done some airstrikes on some of the Iran-backed facilities. Are, are you in favor of continuing this policy if these attacks continue?
6: Yeah, if, if American troops are attacked, we absolutely must respond. We probably should have responded quicker. Uh, I, I was more than disappointed that the administration kind of kept those uh, bad, those attacks and those injuries a uh, secret, Uh, We didn't hear about that right away, did we? Uh, So, no, we we absolutely have to protect the men and women, uh, the finest among us that are in harm's way. We we can't let Iran and and their proxies get away with that.
2: As a practical matter, Senator, um, it it appears, at least the the public reports are, that um, Israel has been holding off a full-scale ground invasion of, of Gaza um, at the request of the United States and maybe United Nations, in, in an effort to try to negotiate the release of, of the hostages and things like that. Is a ground invasion inevitable?
6: Well, that's certainly what is Israel is telling us. Uh, I think we need to leave it up to Israel to do what it believes it needs to do. Uh, I really don't want America interfering with that. Um, now, I listen to generals brief us, and you know, I think they are being given some pretty good advice but it should only be advice it shouldn't be pressure um and i, I do fear that uh, the the administration may be pressuring israel to delay their response which would put more israeli soldiers at risk as hamas hardens its defenses as a result of the time being given it so again i want israel to direct this i don't want them hampered by Biden administration demands
2: Senator, one of the things I think has been, at least in this country, one of the things that I found very, very disappointing over the last couple weeks has been the, the anti-Semitism that, that's just emerged, whether it's on college campuses or whatever, the, the, a lot of the, the, I'm going to describe it as the pro-Palestinian stuff, talking about how, okay, well, this is all Israel's fault and things like that. I, I found it, I guess personally, just very, very disappointing that, that that's what some people view about this conflict, especially given the attacks that resulted in 200 hostages, including some Americans being taken, and the deaths of so many people.
6: I find it way more than disappointing. I think it's just utterly disgusting. But uh, I I hope more Americans' eyes are being opened up to the indoctrination that's occurring at at our institutions of higher learning. And, Jeff, you probably heard me talk about this in the past. The masterstroke of the radical left was taking over our university systems in the 60s. And as a result, they've been graduating teachers for K through 12, who, you know, far too many of them are indoctrinating our children into things like identity politics, critical race theory, and then... Once they get to the university, the radical leftists, the the adult uh, professors, it's just the icing on the cake. It's it's the whipped cream and cherry on the K-12 indoctrination, and now we're seeing the results. I think it's utterly disgusting, and I hope America is watching, and I hope we do something about it.
2: One of the things that, that the president wants to do is put support for Ukraine along with that. Where are you on continued financial support for Ukraine?
3: Well,
6: again, we need to recognize reality. The other elements of that bill don't have the support that, uh, you know, the universal support that uh, uh, the funding for Israel has. I mean, the fact of the matter is the president is asking for $14 billion not to secure the border, to pay for more rapid processing, dispersing of more illegal immigrants. It will incentivize more illegal immigrants. Plus, I think people made the legitimate point that the Biden administration and Democrats in Congress are far more concerned about Ukrainian border security than we are you know, with the crisis occurring on the southwest border. So there will be a very determined attempt to attach any funding for Ukraine attached to it real border security that it is going to, you know, dramatically decrease uh, illegal immigration, and that's going to be a fight. And so we don't want I don't want to hold support for uh, Israel hostage to that fight that will occur. There's no way you're going to avoid that, uh, certainly not in the House, and I would say uh, probably not in the Senate either. So let's support Israel – and then we can start talking about uh, Ukraine and border security.
2: Um, the war in Ukraine, I know this is something that you've been you know, following closely in your various roles in Washington. Is, is it in the United States' interest to continue to support Ukraine as they resist the Russian invasion?
6: very complex issue uh i think we all support the ukrainian people that their courage defending their homeland against the evil that is the, the war criminal vladimir putin so I, we all agree on that you know, the, the problem is i think we could have deterred the invasion but you know the weakness of the biden administration encouraged it i think there might have been a point in time i was hoping which is why i first supported the first 40 billion dollars to replenish our own stockpile that had been depleted, but also a strong signal to Putin is like, listen, you didn't you didn't succeed. Stop, okay? Now, I, I met with Zelensky. I was at his inauguration. He wanted peace. He wanted to do a peace deal. I don't know what's quite happened since then, but what I do know is, again, the reality situation, Putin's not going to lose that war. Losing the war is existential to him. He has 7,000 nuclear weapons, tactical nuclear weapons. Uh, Ukraine can't do what it would need to do to win the war. So now we are in a Bloody stalemate. It's going to have to end in the settlement. And every day that goes by with that war going on, more Ukrainians die—soldiers, civilians. More Russian conscripts die. I, I take no joy in that. And more of Ukraine is destroyed. So it's about time that Zelensky and the Biden administration realize that the they don't have a blank check. Uh, time's running out. Time to sit down and try and end that war. And again, I. I, I take no joy in, in recognizing that reality, but we have to recognize that reality. This war's got to end the sooner the better.
2: Uh, Senator, let's switch gears. Let's talk a little bit about domestic issues. The, um, the, the government runs out of money again in, in a few weeks. What's, um, w- what is going to happen? Is it continuing appropriations? Where does this go? Of course, things have been very much in limbo because of what's been going on in the House of Representatives. But now that there is a speaker moving forward, are we gonna have a government shutdown?
6: So, Jeff, you know, you're probably aware of the fact that when I was chairman of Homeland Security, I passed a bill preventing government shutdown act and prevented all future shutdowns. Uh, Every Democrat on my committee voted for that. Um, So we finally got a vote on that last week in the Senate. Every Republican voted for it, except for, I think, Rand Paul, because he wanted to actually cut spending. We had nine Democrats join us. One Democrat that did not join did not vote to end all future government shutdowns, prevent them was Senator Tammy Baldwin. So the problem is Democrats know that the press is always going to blame Republicans for shutdowns, so they're happy to play the game. And that's what it is. They're playing the game with people's lives, shutting down the government, disrupting things, causing government to cost more. Republicans wanted to end that game. It's ridiculous to be threatening these shutdowns. We could have ended that for all time, including the, the you know threatened shutdown coming up. But Democrats in the Senate, including Senator Tammy Baldwin, voted no to prevent future government shutdowns. So yeah, that's a risk. Now, the good news is uh, speaker uh, Johnson has indicated that he, he would be for a longer term CR so that they can bring up these appropriation bills in smaller tranches so that we can give the spending greater scrutiny. I've, I've been supporting this. So uh, hopefully we'll do a CR that gets us to what he's suggesting April 15th. I I'd completely support that. Hopefully a clean CR, get that done, go to work, start passing these appropriation bills, uh, you know, defense by itself. We're working on a three bill mini bus right now in the Senate. We've been, you know, fooling around with that one for weeks. So it's not exactly like the three week shutdown. In the House, you know, deterred the Senate from not doing anything. We, you know, we've been twiddling our thumbs as well. So uh, now it's time to get to work, start passing these bills, give them the scrutiny, uh, pass that the CR that takes it into April, and then once we've done that, start appropriating for fiscal year 2025. So we're not back here in uh, next October in the same situation.
2: Senator, have you been um, have you been as frustrated as many of us were over what was going on in the House over the course of the last few weeks with the, the Speaker deposed, Speaker McCarthy deposed, and then an inability to, to reach an agreement on, on his replacement?
6: Probably not, because I've been working with uh, House conservatives since literally January. We're, we're the ones that really got us by the debt ceiling impasse. Uh, we got us by, quite honestly, the last shutdown impasse. So we've been working with the House members. I, I knew they would, you know, end the acrimony and they'd come up with a consensus uh, pick. And quite honestly, it looks like they came up with some, you know, really an extraordinary individual. Some, Mike Johnson, everybody likes him. Man of faith, fiscal conservative. Uh, I'm, I'm, I've got great expectations for the new speaker. And, and like I said, it wasn't like uh, the Senate was a rocket docket. We we didn't do, <laughs> you know, diddly squat over the last three weeks. So, um, um,
2: so now, now it's time to get to work. Uh, Senator, let me let me ask you a horse race question. Um, as we're, we're finally getting to that stage where the presidential primaries and the caucuses are going to start, you want to you want to handicap the Republican race for me?
6: Well, I mean, that's pretty easy to handicap. You look at the polls and right now, President Trump has a, you know, almost an insurmountable lead. But, you know, uh, a year is a long time in politics. So who knows what might happen?
2: Um, interesting. Senator Johnson, thanks for taking some time and joining us this afternoon. It is always a pleasure.
6: Take care, stay well.
2: Yeah, you as well. Thank you. That's uh, that Bye. is um, that is Ron Johnson, the senior senator from the state of Wisconsin and I I I remember he was one of a uh, guests on the program when he first kind of announced that he was going to run against Russ Feingold, you know, 3 elections ago, over 18 years ago. And I can remember the reaction back then. It it's always Who who is he? Nobody can beat Ron Johnson. Um, Ron Johnson. Who is he? He certainly can't beat Russ Feingold. And and he did. I remember that first series of ads. The first election. Ron Johnson ran, I think, some of the most compelling political ads that I've ever seen. And it wasn't the, it wasn't the, oh, so and so wants to kill babies or so and so wants to do this. It was, it was his chalkboard ads where it was like, oh, the, the U.S. Senate has X numbers of lawyers and X of this and X of that, like zero businessmen. It was just in, incredibly compelling. And I, I think, you know, he, it, it ended up getting him elected in, um, what, well, I guess call it call 2010. And then, two thousand sixteen. It was the same sort of thing. Oh, when Russ Feingold ran to get his seat back. Oh, there's no way that Ron Johnson can beat Russ Feingold and and, and Senator Johnson did. One of the I remember that election night, I, I first became convinced that hey Donald Trump was probably going to be the real thing because I was watching the Ron Johnson numbers. Now Ron Johnson outperformed Donald Trump in Wisconsin, but um he you know, Johnson had coattails and I think that helped uh I think that helped Donald Trump a lot win the presidency in 2016 and then 2022 nobody thought that ron johnson was going to win and he did this is jeff wagner this is the best of jeff wagner highlighting the best moments of a 25 year career on
1: wtmj